Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network's We Dig Plants. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. Carmen DeVito, my co-host, is still on the beach in Florida. She's having her own plant fun, swishing around in the water, Um, hopefully getting tangled up in seaweed. (laughs) It's just me today, but we have a great guest and a great topic. Um, It's January, and there's very little gardening going on here in the Northeast, but as gardeners, we're all dreaming of our spring garden, and we're starting to plan what will give us the most satisfaction. And, you know, we start to pour through catalogs and drool over magazine photos, and we start to do some research to mimic some of those plants that are, uh, that we're coveting in magazines. And then, of course, you know, we become worried about our geographic location and the neuroses sets in and how that translates to the photo and how we can get that plant that we're coveting. Hmm, what should we do? Well, today's guest helps us. He's got the key to our neuroses. His name is Andrew Keys, and his great book um, is just out. It's called uh, Why Grow This When You or I'm sorry, why grow that when you can grow this? Um, 255 extraordinary alternatives to everyday problem plants. And it was also just listed in the Martha Stewart magazine Winter Reads um, book selection. So it's very timely. Um, a brief intro. Andrew Keyes is a writer, designer, consultant, and a lifelong gardener. He's the host and producer of Fine Gardening's Garden Confidential podcast. He blogs at Garden Smackdown. He grew up in Mississippi with a farming, uh, with a cotton farming family, and he was raised with a reverence for the land. He fell in love with plants via the woods of his childhood home. He's an accredited organic land care professional by the Northeast Organic Farming Association, and he's a member of the Garden Designers Roundtable and Garden Writers Association, and has lectured for the Northeast Wildflower Society. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Alice. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. I'm, I hope to be able to, to cure your neuroses. Like you <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the key, Andrew. Andrew Keys. <laughs> um, so you're calling us from Boston, and yeah. t- tell us about the inspiration for the book and how it came about. Well, I, I guess it's that I have always uh, 
as a gardener, I've always wanted to grow things that I couldn't grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the South, mm-hmm. and early on in in you know my my career in plants, I discovered uh, a book called simply Drought Tolerant Plants, and these are plants that are that are that come from Mediterranean climates, desert plants, things like that. These are not plants that would ever be happy where I grew up in the South, right. where we have very poorly draining soil, high humidity, but these were the plants that I really wanted to grow. <laughs> That's so funny. And, and failed miserably. The grass is always greener. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and then I moved to the Northeast and shockingly found that I missed the plants that everybody in the South grows. Right. That I, that I had grown with great success in the South. Right. Um, so at some point it occurred to me, you know, I'm really tired of sort of uh, zone pushing can always be fun to a degree, but I was really tired of trying things that clearly weren't going to work. And and I started thinking, you know, I wonder what some more thing, what some more plan is out there that could evoke the same emotion right. that I could grow, that could thrive for me here in my climate. And that was really the inspiration for the book. Yeah, I love in your preface where you mention um, evolution and the amazing fact that sometimes on two sides of the globe, there are two similar plants with similar flowers evolving and how that can transport us to, you know, other faraway places. Right. And uh, that's what's great about your book is that it gives us some really great alternatives for that same texture or color, um, the same feel, but things that will work in your region, whatever that may be. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. It it, plant. The way that plants have evolved really fascinates me. I mean, a lot of times it's not even... uh, You'll find plants of the same genus on opposite sides of the globe that are very similar. Right. But it's it's even more fascinating when they're plants that are completely unrelated, Mm -hmm. that are somehow very similar. You know, uh, there's been a lot of DNA research going on in the plant world and reclassification of plants and families, um, and it's been discovered that some plants that people thought were related it turns out are not as related as they thought. Exactly. Um, and then it, some um, we didn't think were related, and it turns out they are. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me. So another, another like, super fun thing about your book, um, I thought, was the way that you liken plant selection to high school and, right. and like, those superstars, you know, versus, like, you know, there, there was like like the cheerleader or the like prom queen and king, and you know those like people that were so sought after. You know, as far as like social yeah, yeah. norms go, <laughs> and then there's just the normal people. You know, and that's kind of what your book is about is is those kind of normal people and like how how they can be stars. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it occurred to me that so many of these plants are are great when we buy them. Uh-huh. Um, and then we plant them, and they grow up to be not so great. Right. Or they, or they just die, or, you know, they get diseases or things like that. And and I was trying to think of a good sort of overarching analogy yeah. for the entire book. And, it, and for some reason, the concept of the high school reunion hit me, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when the people who you thought were so great in high school show up at the reunion and... 
And it turns out they're bald and they're fat. They're not the greatest anymore. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the kids from the the nerds and the geeks and the kids from the AV club, like those are the kids that, that ended up being really successful. Exactly. And so I, you know, I was thinking about these, these other plants that are kind of underdogs to the the popular plants. Yeah. and it and that's how it, that's how it hit me. Yeah, it's it's a it's an uh, it's an amazing analogy, and um, you know it's kind of it's 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 just wonderful because I think everybody relates to it, and it's a good way of of highlighting those other plants, you know those those things yeah. that and 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 bringing them out into cultivation and and into popularity, you know, because there there are some right. really great yeah. plants. You don't have to stick with you know the twenty five superstars that you see in the front of the garden center when you walk in there, you know, because they've been yeah. pushed up to the front so that they're sold and, you know, gotten out of there. <laughs> so. Right. Or the plants that, that everyone is growing or, right. you know, things like that. Right. So, yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah, I want to get into some of the plants. Um, so let's start. I, I also really, really liked the way that you broke the, I mean, it's a very simple way that you kind of, uh, classified the book or, or sectioned the book, you know, there's the tree mm-hmm. section and the shrub and the vine and the perennials and grasses and ground covers. And that's actually a really nice way of thinking about garden design and planning as kind of parts of the society or the ecosystem. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you liken that further as you start reading more into more high school analogies so for instance you say trees are the big kids in the schoolyard of the garden which i really liked (laughs) so um one thing that i as a uh, carmen and i as a as a garden designer we're always confronted with italian cypress you know a a lot of our clients will Mm -hmm. you know they they travel to italy and they come back and they say ah i need to have that italian cypress cypress and we're like ah you know, like you just, you just can't, you just can't hear. Yeah. But. Uh, not here. And, and your clients are all in New York, right? Or in the yeah. Northeast. Yeah. 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 So yeah. then. That's, that's a no-go. <laughs> so you turn to your great book, Why Grow That When You Can Grow This? And there it is, this beautiful alternative, the, um, the Degroot Spire Arborvitae. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, tell me, how did you do the research? You know, I, I let me think back. I think the first thing that I did was to generate the list of plants that I felt like people wanted to grow most that could that were problematic for whatever reason. Whether it was like Italian cypress, um, you know that that's a Mediterranean plant. It only really grows well in the, the parts of this country that have Mediterranean climates. Mm-hmm. So with that one, it's kind of a heart, it's a hardiness issue mm-hmm. or, you know, a soil drainage. It, that's, that's a whole host of issues. With right. That plant. But um, I, I think what people I, are I generated. I'm sorry. Ahead, sorry. I was just going to say for us, what people want is that design, that structure, you know, that, that vertical right. element and that look. Exactly. And, um, yeah. and, and there's so many great plants that you can get that from that right. are not so they're not so well known in the sort of uh, in the popular uh, psyche. They may not be on on a client's radar unless that client is is more plant savvy. But they're still fairly available mm-hmm. in terms of uh, you know we could probably go out to most any nursery and and find several uh, degroot spire 
arborvitae, mm-hmm. we wouldn't necessarily be looking for them unless we wanted something like Italian cypress or something very vertical and evergreen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it, some of it was uh, generating the list of, of the plants with potential problems. And then I had I had kind of built up a list of, of plants that uh, I thought were were underdogs or underused, um, and so it was. There was a bit of connecting the dots, and then seeing, okay, what what's left here? What you know? What other plants uh, would be good alternatives for these problem plants that may be underused or uh, maybe somewhat available, but not necessarily uh, planted very much. Okay. So when you were doing the research, you kind of worked at it from both sides then of the problem, like the popular plants, so to speak, and then also like the the underdogs or, you know, so and then you kind of just like, like you said, connected the dots and you just kind of drew the connections and like, if not this, then this. And that's, that's, it's, that's what makes the book so easy to understand. And, and also just your, your quick little brief synopsis i think of each plant Mm -hmm. and you know its zone and what its general conditions are and i mean it's just a really easy great fun book to read i was really really impressed with it that's great thank you i mean i think one of the biggest things that we wanted to get out of this book was we wanted to make it simple enough that uh, a beginner could pick it up and really get something out of it but engaging enough that an, an intermediate gardener could also pick it up. Mm-hmm. And while they may know DeGroote Spire Arborvitae and know that, no, nah, maybe I don't want to plant that, it, it could at least be a jumping-off point for them. Exactly, and it gets um, them thinking. So, yeah, we really wanted to target a range of people and have it resonate with, with lots of different people for different reasons. Yeah, so yeah. That was part of the thinking behind that. All right, well, when we come back, we have to take a bit of a break. Um, hang on the line. When we come back, we're going to talk more about specific plants. And you're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking with Andrew Keys. You're listening to Bang Bang Sun by Iggy Dean on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. We all know what a foodie is, but what's foodiness? Foodiness is turning us into those chubby, slushy, slurping, lounge chair-bound morons in Wally, plugged in, pumped full of sugar, and brain dead. Chef Erica Wides is here to fight against foodiness. You have to keep drinking the Let's Get Real Kool-Aid for it to start to work. 
Let's Get Real. Rediscover real food every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, As I drink my Coca-Cola, Erica, I hope you're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Andrew, we are here with Andrew Keyes, and uh, he's author of the book, Why Grow That When You Can Grow This? 255 Extraordinary Alternatives to Everyday Problem Plants, published by Timber Press. So, um, Andrew, let's go to shrubs. They're the popular cool kids, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shrubs are, that's what everyone tends to have, I think. Right. Those poor shrubs that are stuffed in front of people's houses <laughs> by developers. Yeah, pretty you know? much. Found, the foundation planting. Foundation yeah. planting, yeah. right. So let's, let's talk about, there's a real problem this year, um, boxwood, right? Um, you mm-hmm. call it the everyday problem. Um, Buxus species and different cultivars. There's a there's a blight here all along the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so you give a great alternative, and it's it's one that Carmen and I can't stress enough. We love and we use all the time. Ilex glabra, um, inkberry. Mm-hmm. We we use a cultivar called cultivar called Shamrock a lot. Mm, yeah. Because um, it it has the same sort of habit as boxwood, but it's not so fussy. And actually, I like its kind of looser texture a little bit. Mm-hmm. More yeah, than... Yeah, it's a native plant, too. Uh-huh. I, I believe it's a native of pretty much the whole Northeast. I think um, so, yes. I, yeah. So, I mean, that's even better. Um, yeah, from Nova Scotia to Florida. Native, okay, yeah. Anytime yeah. you can use native plants, it's all the better. So... Yeah, I, inkberry is great because, it, I mean, it really has the same sort of texture and uh, everything is boxwood. It's evergreen. There are mm-hmm. several different cultivars. You know, one one objection to inkberry that I hear from people is that it get, it will get a little leggy. Yeah. Um, you know, it will, it, it's, as long as you prune it a little, it should be fine. But there are, there are also cultivars that are more compact if you are looking for right. uh, the sort of more compact look of a boxwood. If you're looking for that Downton Abbey look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, some people, buy, I think a lot of people don't realize just how big boxwood can get, too. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it depends It depends on which which type of boxwood look you're looking for. But yeah, yeah. there's a range of cultivars for this plant. It's a native plant, super easy to grow. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to be. And then um, one of my also favorites that Carmen and I actually plant Daphne all the time. We love it. Um, yeah. But it does, it is very, very temperamental. And if it's not happy, it's going to let you know, you know? <laughs> right. yeah. It's going to let you know, and that's going to be the end. <laughs> yeah, then you're going to rip it out. Right. right. I actually know a woman who, and I, I you know, Daphne is, Daphne is one of the funniest ones because they're so, even scientists don't, all agree on what its major problem is in terms of there's this concept of the Daphne death yeah. where all of a sudden your Daphne will, will decline and then it, they just poop out. Right. And, um, there are various reasons. I think one of the biggest one of the biggest reasons that there is some consensus around is, is drainage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and especially winter drainage. I know a woman who loves Daphne and Carol Mackey so much mm-hmm. that she... Treats it as an annual. I mean, she will buy a couple of shrubs 
every year because they die every year. Yeah. And I mean, that's, she's not ready to let go. Right. (laughs) But for those of us who are, there are, there are a lot of great alternatives out there that are still very fragrant and beautiful plants and, and somewhat underused. Um, Clethra is one, mm-hmm. uh, uh, summer sweet, uh, or sweet pepper bush, which is an, an also a native of the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, it blooms kind of late summer, mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. when, or uh, kind of in the dog days of summer when not a lot else is necessarily blooming. And you you smell it all around the yard. Yeah, um, that that's one really great plant. Yeah, and um, I I also love your your third alternative with sweet olive osmanthus. Yeah, that that's is one that I wish I could grow. That is an un, unbelievable plant. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I was um my um husband, his family lives in um in the eastern part of Tennessee. I, outside of Mm -hmm. knoxville and there's great hiking trails you know of course all through there and there was i I was running um i was there in the fall and i was there in the early spring and i was Mm -hmm. and at both times of the year as i was like running down this path you know just having Mm -hmm. a little jog i was intoxicated with like what is that smell what is that smell it smells like daphne it smells like Mm -hmm. daphne and and I would ask passerbys like, "What do you know? What this is?" Because I couldn't see any flower, but there was this like beautiful waxy green, and and I was like, "Is that Mahonia? No, Mahonia doesn't smell like that. What is this?" Yeah. And then I realized it's the sweet olive, and I was in heaven. It's an amazing yeah. plant, yeah. amazing, and it gets it, big. Yeah, but it it gets huge. I mean, in New Orleans, they're just huge hedges of it everywhere. Oh. I mean, that's one of the plants that I grew up with that I wish I could still grow and, and have actually tried yeah. to grow. <laughs> so that's really, that was sort of a, a working backwards. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Um, but yeah, if that's, you know, for people in the South, Daphne is not necessarily, with Daphne likes good drainage. There's a lot of clay soil in the South, so you don't necessarily get that. Right. And uh, in, it's very hot in the summer, and it's wet in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daphne is, across the board, going to be a bit more difficult to grow in the south. So sweet olive, I think, is kind of the no-brainer alternative there. Yeah. Uh, and on the west coast, too, they, they have a lot of sweet olives. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really one of my, my favorite plants ever. Abs- absolutely. Was it hard for you, Andrew, when you were putting the book together, like, geographically, to kind of think about that because you know like one you know it's like one person's trash is another man's treasure you know what i mean and like oh yeah some people have these like and and some people you know have a little microclimate and things work great and then others don't so i can imagine that was that might have been kind of conflicting when you were putting together the book perhaps it was tough i think that was the the tallest order um in terms of in terms of choosing good alternatives to these sort of traditional garden favorites, mm-hmm. uh, was trying to pick plants that would represent the vast majority of North America. That would three alternatives that would cover most of the continent, and mm-hmm. that was the toughest part. Um, I'm really lucky in that I connected with a great community of uh, garden folk online all across the country mm-hmm. and and the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I, I would, I kind of had a good list put together, but if I was, 
if I was questioning something, I could always shoot someone an email and say, hey, what is this like for you? You know, is this boring there? Mm-hmm. Does everyone grow this? Or this seems like something that would grow for you. Have you ever heard of it? Am I right or wrong? Yeah. Um, and, and that was incredibly helpful. I, I couldn't have done it without my friends yeah. all over the country. Well, and it's great in the back of the book, you know, you have references and resources. So it's not like if you can't find these things at your local garden center, you can go online and you can, you know, tap into a larger community to, to get what you need, which I really, really right. appreciated in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, vines, not to be forgotten on the playground. <laughs> tell me, they who, won't let you. tell me who those kids are. <laughs> Unfortunately, we all know them. <laughs> like, yeah, they, like, they're kind of in your face. Yeah. The vines. Like our friend Asian bittersweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell me, yeah, um, I liked of your alternatives. My favorite was the Gloriosa Lily. What a yeah, what a beautiful a plant! Pretty plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's one that's not that's that is definitely for people in mild, milder climates. Although, yeah. from what I understand, it makes a good container plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not necessarily a book for container planting, but you know, I think that it does. Um, and it's also it, it stays fairly small too, so smaller gardens also a good thing. Right. Um, yeah, when in, in looking for alternatives to uh, to bittersweet, I was really looking for vines that would it, again. It's it's something that evokes the same idea as the plant that you really wanted to grow, and so I was looking at vines that uh, had some feature that included the hot color, mm-hmm. the bittersweet. That's what we know bittersweet for, mm-hmm. but that didn't want to take over the world mm-hmm. and become invasive species. <laughs> right, right. Like that. Um, so Gloriosa Lily is, has these really beautiful uh, bicolored flowers. They're, half of them is red and half of them is yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just they're, it's a really pretty hot color. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was one that I really wanted to include, and, and it bittersweet seemed somewhat sensible in that. Right, right. And Japanese honeysuckle, you know, what a, what a, an amazing plant, but what a nuisance, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, where is this plant not an invasive species? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it is just, a, it's, it's wild. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's an invasive species here in Massachusetts where I live. I'm sure, and it was, yeah. It was absolutely one where I grew up. I mean, it was in the woods all behind the house mm-hmm. where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some plants in the book that I offer alternatives to that there are actually plants in the same genus, and honeysuckle is one, that are such great plants that there wasn't necessarily even a need to go outside of that. I mean, there are such great honeysuckles that are that are native plants mm-hmm. that it's like we could absolutely use a honeysuckle like uh, Major Wheeler um, as an alternative to the Japanese honeysuckle. Right. Um, there's another one that's a that's a native a cultivar of a native of the Midwest called uh, Lanicera reticulata, Kinsley's ghost. Mm-hmm. That one has a really pretty flower, very similar to Japanese honeysuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after the flower fades, there is a bract around the flower, which is kind of a modified leaf, I guess to put it really simply. And it's it has this silvery color, and it looks like eucalyptus. And those actually hang on to the plant for the rest of the growing season. So that was that's a good example of one 
that I feel does one does the original plant one better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like this plant is very similar to the original plant, but then it's also better in these ways. It, it provides multi-season interest, uh, things like that. The thing, though, and that, that was kind of the thing that's sad though sorry, about the ahead. the Japanese honeysuckle is that you that fragrant. You know that smell, mm-hmm. like it's not really found in the other cultivars. I or, or did it you find tough. that? Yeah, it's tough to find, and sometimes you know. Usually, I think ideally you find a plant that hits all of those notes that the original plant hits, and often you will have to give something up. And mm-hmm. that's why I said, you know, about about the woman that I know who will replant Daphne every year. <laughs> right. She's not ready. Right, <laughs> When right. you're ready, you know, it's, you, it's time to look for these plants that will evoke something similar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you will, there will probably be trade-offs. It will never be that exact plant. Mm-hmm. Rarely will it ever hit every note. Um, and fragrance is, is definitely one that can be more tough. Mm-hmm. That's why the book emphasizes... Uh, more traditional sort of design elements like color and shape and texture and things like that. Um, those are typically, in, from what I found, those are easier to match. Right. Um, right. And I, in my mind, matching those in terms of Japanese honeysuckle was more important necessarily than matching fragrance. People will absolutely disagree with me oh i, I, I but, but you I have feel, to weigh right i think you're absolutely right because you have to weigh fragrance yeah. versus like taking over your garden taking over the world you know like come on right right you know? but again the book this what i what i always tell people is the book is just a jumping off point if the alternatives there don't suit you for whatever reason then i hope that they got the gears turning you know maybe maybe you're not ready to give up right you are, then you can look at the alternative that I had sort of specified for your climate and say, well, I don't like this for this reason, but maybe this this plant here would be a good alternative for me. Right. Um, right. So the good thing about honeysuckles is that there are others, I think that there there are lots of others Mm -hmm. that aren't sort of crazy invasive species and that do have that fragrance. I do have to say, I loved the color on the major wheeler. Variety. Yeah. Uh, that that was just so pretty. That was just like you know that was just gorgeous. It just sucked me right in, and and it yeah. is so beautiful that I think you can forego the fragrance, you know, and just plant some lilies next to it or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. So that exactly. you get that smell. Okay, let's go to the perennials as the complicated kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they, they they die back every year. Yeah, some are big, some are small. There's a whole range. Yeah, yeah. So one that um, we use here a lot, Carmen and I use, is astilbe. And we have a mm-hmm. we have a bad pun. Astilbe planting astilbe is our bad pun um, <laughs> every time we plant it. Um, and the alternative, which we have used before and we need to use more of, I was happy to see you included persicaria. Fleece yes. flower. Great, great suggestion. I love persicaria. I you if you look, you'll actually find I think three different persicarias in the book. Uh-huh. I, I kind of have a thing for for persicarias. Um, the one that I like as an alternative for stilby is the small. Uh, I think it's persicaria affinis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the common names for all of these are not 
they're they're not really representative of what the plant the plants are. They they'll call them fleece flowers or foam flowers, things right, like that. Right. Um, this particular one is very small. It's it's kind of ground hugging and it spreads a little and it has uh, these sort of little pink candle like flowers over a really long season. Um, and it and it will take more sun than a silky tube. The the place that I've seen it growing off the top of my head more than anywhere else is a nursery in New Hampshire and they have it planted in their rock garden. Uh-huh. Um, well, good drainage, decent water, not great, but it's in full sun in their rock garden. Um, and, yeah, and it, and it blooms over a really long period. And at some point I was like, what is that? I keep noticing that. It's really pretty. Um, and, oh, the other thing is that in the fall, its leaves turn a, a nice reddish color. You don't often get fall color on perennial plants. That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, it's a really a long season of interest on this plant. All right. Well, in the interest of time, I have to skip over a couple of the other per- perennials. Uh-oh, um, sorry. I know. I'm sorry. I wish we could talk more. Let's go quick, though, to the grasses and the ground covers and Bishop's mm-hmm. Weed, which is now on the invasive list. And I yeah. love, love, love that your alternative was creeping raspberry. I thought that was such a brilliant um, suggestion. Just a great plant that Carmen and I actually use a lot. Yeah. I, I love that plant, too. It's so textural. It's, it's like a whole pile of crushed velvet. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and it, Yeah, it, it's really great. And I've seen it, uh, I think, on the High Line, actually. They have it kind of trailing over mm-hmm. uh, one of the stairways that you, you exit from. They do. Yeah, it's a plant that will spread. Like, people, a lot of people want the variegated bishop weed. Yeah. This isn't variegated, but I found a lot of people cultivating bishop weed because it was growing uh, at their house already, and they were like, oh, this plant spreads great. You know, I wanted a plant that, that would spread and be a great ground cover, but then they don't realize that it, it wants to take over the world. This yeah. plant, I, this, this plant is pure evil in my mind. This is the one that I don't like at all. It, yeah, um, the bishop's weed. Yeah. Creeping raspberry will, oh yeah, sorry, the bishop's weed. Creeping raspberry will spread in a similar way and be a great ground cover, but you can keep it in check, and that I think is the key in terms of ground covers. Uh huh. Yeah, and that right. So, yeah. yeah, that's exactly the because what you want is ground cover, but you don't want you don't want suffocation. You know, which ground is ground conqueror. Yeah, ground conqueror. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andrew, I'm sorry we are out of time, but the book is fabulous, and of course, I think you and I could just talk for hours on on plants and <laughs> hopefully i'll get to meet you up in boston in a couple of weeks um yeah absolutely when we're there for the trade show so i will look you up then but as you can see um you know andrew is advocating choices um and that is a great you know i i think he says in also in his preface he says that um you know, it's a tired turn of phrase, but the grass is always greener on the other side. And as human mm-hmm. beings in general, gardeners especially, why are we always coveting what we can't have? Which I really, really find a great segue or a great entry into the <laughs> book. It's, it's it's just lovely. And, and I think all of your suggestions are really fun. And, um, you know, it's good to be the underdog, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, gardeners, listeners, as you're looking through catalogs and seeing things that you wish you could have and, and want to have, check out Andrew's book for the 
better alternative so that you too can have that lush tropical or that arid and Mediterranean garden. So just keep gardening and visiting nurseries to expand your palate. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us and for writing such a great book. It's so fun and informative, great analogies, great information. Um, thanks to Joe G for engineering. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and to our sponsor, Hearst Ranch. Join us on Facebook at Groundworks Inc. We dig plants. Happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.